right, fellas. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate it. So this week on Out of the Rut Podcast, we are here with a little bit different format than we're used to. Typically, we like to do a kind of a one-on-one interview. This week, we're doing a little bit differently. This is more of a scripted educational episode. And I'm sitting here with my good friend, Nick Dennison with Fervor Realty. And I'm sitting here with my good friend, Josh Veldman from Nest Mortgage Group. And what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of go over some of the thought process behind what it's like to buy a house. I know there are some people out there who have done this a handful of times. And then I know a lot of you listening today have never bought a house. Um, maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you want to, but think that you can't. Uh, We're here today to kind of run through what your partners are going to do for you in this process. Anytime you go down to buy a piece of realty, the two most important people that you want to have in in your back pocket is your mortgage lender and your real estate agent. So I'm sitting here with uh, Nick, who's our real estate agent, Josh, who's our mortgage lender, and we're going to go through a handful of questions and answers here and hopefully have some lively dialogue and maybe uh, maybe we'll manage to keep this light as well. So I'm going to start with you, Nick. Uh, go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself and a little bit about your background and why you love doing what you're doing. Yeah. My name is Nick Dennison. I've been in the business for 18 years now and uh, started my own company five and a half years ago now, and things are going great. The name of my company is Fervor Realty. I want you guys all to uh, look that up. I'm not going to tell you what it means, uh, but that's my energy. That's where I come from. And uh, so I want you guys all out there listening to look that up. Fervor Realty, don't forget it. It's going to be a great big company that's going to save everyone money. We do things unique, and that's what we do for people. We save people money. And you can get that for fervorrealty.com. Is that yeah, kind of your website? Yeah, fervorrealty.com okay. is my website. Awesome. Yep. And uh, you can even shoot me a text. Uh, 616-581-2713 is my cell number. Excellent. All right. Now for you, Josh. All right. Yeah, Josh Veldman with Nest Mortgage Group, NMLS 1010412. So I have been with Nest Mortgage Group since January of this year. And uh, prior to that, I was with a regional bank for seven years and found myself in different roles there and just kept falling in love with with lending and uh, spent several years coaching, developing, training people when it came to the lending process and really how to help them uncover opportunities to save people money, whether it's, you know, helping them consolidate debt. Maybe it's purchase a home like, you know, we're talking about today and just love it. Love that whole process. And so um, decided to make a switch and uh, I'm loving it. I've met a lot of really great people and helped a lot of people purchase homes and, and absolutely love it. So, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I'm going to stick with you, Josh, for a second. So yeah. you're relatively new to the business. Uh, why would a first time home buyer really benefit from your help through the market? mortgage process. Yeah, no, for sure. So I, first of all, I'll just say I love working with first-time home buyers. The reason for that is because they're new to the process, okay? Um, they don't know the ins and outs. And with my background, I am, I'm just kind of that teacher, okay? So I like to explain from beginning to end what to expect and, and kind of explain the why behind things. And, you know, I do have some clients that, you know, they look at me and like, okay, you know, maybe I don't need to know every detail. But for them to know and understand what to expect in the process and have somebody that they can get a hold of um, to ask those questions. Um, I think that's, you know, that right there is is very important. And that's what I give to those first time home buyers, just giving them the knowledge they need. Absolutely. So you can kind of come on as a partner through an educational process. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of times, in the, and Nick can kind of follow up on this a little bit, but a lot of times, uh, especially in that first that, that first time home buyer price range, things are super competitive. Mm-hmm. And so you want, not only want a lender that would go, go to bat for you, but you also need a good real estate agent that's going to do that as well. So I'll kick it back to you, Nick. You know, what are some things that you do on a day-to-day basis that are just really advantageous for the first time home buyer? Like the, Josh was saying, you know, you go through a educational spot first with them because they're nervous. They don't know the process of buying a house. And the first thing that they think of is, can we even afford a house? And a lot of times people don't think they can afford a house, right? Uh, but gosh dang, the rent is so high today. It is, yep. That, uh, you know, everybody can probably afford a house if they have decent credit. And then there's ways to build on that credit too. And I'm sure Josh has a great, you know, examples of how to build your credit up fast. Uh, But there's all kinds of different ways you can do that. But basically first is meeting with a real estate agent uh, that you can trust and who's going to give you the best guidance out there. That's really important because 
like I don't feel as a salesperson. A lot of people call me, you know, I'm a sales. Hey, how are your sales numbers? Well, I'm not a sales guy. I am a consultant. I don't ever tell buyers what to buy. I give them the tools to make a great decision to make sure that they're making an investment. And that's kind of where, you know, having a great realtor and a great lender and, you know, Josh and I would be great team members. Um, we're, we know each other for a little bit. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, that's the first step in the in the game is really having people looking out for your best interest. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely uh, something that I can personally attest to as well, because we're sitting in the second home that I bought with you. And that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely something that you did at every step along the way. And every process is different, right? For sure. It wasn't yeah. the same. And that's where, you know, that's where you come in. We didn't in make to... it easy for you either. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was like, where do these people come from? But you know, just like Josh, I love this job because it's different every day. Yep. You you wake up, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's what makes this job so, so much fun. Right, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so every time is, is different. It's, you're, that's a good point. It's never the same. It's it's almost it's like problem solving because, to, you know, like you were saying, every person's scenario is so unique. You know, I, I would say you know, you've been in this for eighteen years, and you're probably still running into things like, oh, I've never seen this before. Oh yeah, and you're learning, and you know, and it's the same thing. In this, we, we just find ourselves in, you know, unique situations because everybody has a different story, and so taking that story. And fitting it into the solution, it's. I, I look at myself as a guide, right? Your situation is your situation. I'm going to do everything I can to help you and guide you to get to your end goal, which is purchasing a home. So, it's it's a lot of fun, but there are <laughs> there's a lot of work to it too. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Yep. So I'm going to bump back to Josh real quick. So uh, and Nick alluded to this kind of in, a, in his opening monologue, if you will. He mentioned that a lot of clients might think that they can't buy a house. What what was something like a process you would take somebody who maybe has bad credit, damaged credit, or no credit, um, who just came to you and said, "Hey, I want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, but I'm not sure about my credit." What, what's a process that you might walk that person through? When I have somebody come to me and they want to get pre-approved, I mean, I start with, you know, four main categories with everybody because credit is just one of those four pieces. And yes, credit might be the reason we can't move forward today and I can help give them some advice. I will say, of course, I'm not a credit counselor, so it's just advice, you know. I like to get to know, you know, first of all, yeah, what is what do they think their credit score is? And that's a tough question because people don't truly know what their credit score is. And then you have sources out there like Credit Karma that just aren't reliable when it comes to what your score would be with mortgage. Yep. So <laughs> maybe you can attest to that. So, um, you know, so that's tough, you know, truly to know their score, we have to pull it. But when before I do that, I like to have a conversation and say, okay, what is your credit? Why do you think it's that way? What's on your credit? What do you think could be hurting your credit? And we'll talk through some of those things. But then, you know, talk me, you know, through what does your income look like? How long have you been employed? What do you have set aside for savings? You know, what does your overall debt scenario look like? What else, what else is in your name? And once I have those four main categories, I can get an idea of where they're at enough to say, okay, does it make sense for us to even go further to do an application or, you know, you need to address this, this, and this. So when it comes to credit, you know, it could be simply just, you know, lowering the amount of debt they have on their credit cards or clearing up some judgments and things. Um, Until you take a look at it, you truly never know. All right. That's awesome. Now, now coming back to you, Nick. So I remember going through the process with you the very first time. Uh, at that time, my wife and I were living in an apartment and uh, we were just in a place where we were tired tired of living in an apartment and wanted to get our own four walls. Right. And uh, so people. I met you at the bank that I, that I worked at back, back then. And uh, we got the ball rolling. And one of the, the things that I thought was a big barrier to entry to get into buying my own home would be, man, I've got to pay, you know, all these real estate fees and, you know, loan fees and stuff like that. Um, but when what I was surprised when I found out when I started working with you is that we went you went and showed us a bunch of houses and didn't charge us a dime. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, we get paid at the end. So when when I find you a home or I find my clients a home. It's called a commission. And typically when we are showing homes, the seller has already arranged to pay us a certain amount. Okay. So I I don't feel I don't charge admin fees. I don't charge anything to my buyers. 
I only get paid when we come to find you a home and in in it's finished. So when we close on it, it's like a party for me too. Yeah. Because I get paid. Yeah. And, and you, get, you get a house. Yeah. So yes. It's a good deal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Now, now more recently, the second time we were going through this process, uh, you saved us thousands of dollars selling our home. You know, and that's a that's a program that you've been doing for quite some time. Tell tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so so what we do a little differently compared to our competitors is that we have decided to only charge our sellers five hundred dollars to list their home if we're representing them on the buy side. And I'll just use an example. I just sold a house in East Grand Rapids about four months ago, and we saved our seller twelve thousand five hundred dollars in commission. Wow. Yeah. Just nuts. I mean, just imagine what you could do with that money. You could use that money to help Josh get you a better interest rate to put more down on your home. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so you could do so much with that money. And, and that's another thing, too. We say we don't charge admin fees on the buy side or sell side. It's because we feel that, especially for a buyer, they're going through, they need the extra money for that washer or dryer that may go down or shoot, they may need it for a new bed or something. So we feel like there's a lot of money moving around in real estate. The buyer has to come up with usually a lot of money to to buy a house. And uh, so does the seller really typically because they need to sell and they need to use that money to go buy something else typically. So Yeah. And I think that you run a more efficient process too, because uh, you're, you're, you're a small business owner, you're self-employed. Uh, I think it's a little bit different working with you than working with somebody that uh, maybe from a, a larger real estate broker. Um, I don't want to name any names, but um, you know them. They're out there. You see the signs all over the place. Um, so that probably gives you a lot more, a uh, lot more room where you're not wasting money on frivolous expenses. You're, 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 you're running, you're doing what you need to do to keep your business open. And we don't need to charge those admin fees to, you know, to be competitive. Yeah. In, in today's age too, you have so much technology that, you know, if I was a realtor back in 1980, you know, or even the early nineties where you had to drive around, look at a house and figure out if this house is going to be perfect for your client or not. Today, you can use all kinds of platforms yeah. to figure out where, oh, you know, that house looks interesting. Yeah. I want to go see it. Oh, you, okay. Shoot. I didn't have to drive out there and investigate it for myself. I'm saving so much time than how real estate was set up in the past that now it's about time to change the fees and structure the fees because yes, we do a lot of work. And we're not discounting anything. Our service is full service, by the way, Yep. Uh, for these lower fees. It's full service. I'm not going to cut my client short. I'm, no one's going to cut their client short if you, if you care about them, right? So it's full service, and they reap the rewards of lower costs by using the, what's given to us today, and that's technology, and that will help keep costs down. Absolutely. And I know for I know from a personal standpoint is that there, I mean, it was not a discounted rate, but not discounted service because at any time we needed to see a house, you were, you were, you made yourself available to get in it. Yeah. You, um, and you have to because houses sell what? Yes. In very day, quickly. A couple hours. Yes. And we'll, we'll <laughs> and get into- you're not into, the only one putting an offer in either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, offers. We'll yeah. get into the market structure, Grand Rapids here in a second. I know you have a lot of stats on that you're going to go over. Um, but moving on to uh, kind of the next part. So uh, when you, Josh, when you get somebody pre-approved and they're starting to go through that process with Nick and looking at houses, what are some things that you're- help what you're helping them uh, for maybe like a budget standpoint, because, uh, you know, there's so many numbers and, and I've been in, kind of in this business for a little bit and you guys have been doing this for quite some time. Um, so the average Joe, you know, just sees a bunch of numbers and it looks like Chinese, you know? <laughs> so what is something that you do to kind of, uh, you know, to make things less confusing uh, from your uh, from your clients, kind of from a budgeting standpoint. Yeah. Well, I think on the front end, something that I do that's really important is understanding what their goal is and what their ideal mortgage payment is, because it's very easy to give somebody a number saying you're pre-approved up to, you know, 250000 and then they tell you that their payment goal is $800. Well, those two don't match, right? <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> When I issue a pre-approval, I like to give them an idea of what to expect from a closing cost standpoint, but I also give them a good idea of what a payment would look like at the top of their budget 
and also really at a price point that they should be based off their goal. So I think that's on the front end something that I do. But the other thing I like to do is, you know, I stay in communication with them and when they find a property that they're really interested in and they feel that they're going to put an offer in, I tell them to send me that address. I will plug in the numbers. I'll pull up the property taxes, see what, you know, see what everything looks like, and I'll give them a good analysis of what that's going to look like for payment and closing costs. So that way they go into it feeling confident and not like, oh, well, this is a really sweet house. We love it. Hopefully we can afford it. I mean, yeah, it's in the pre-approval range, but what is my payment going to be? Well, that's where we're going to help them kind of narrow that down. And to add on to that, you know, there are pockets of areas in Grand Rapids where property taxes really aren't much. And then you you go like a couple miles down the road and it's, you know, a huge difference. It's like three times higher. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So those are really good things to know going in to have somebody that can go in and pull those numbers and give you like an accurate quote so you're not wandering in the dark. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) On all of those. No, the the worst thing... I. I always try to put myself in the shoes of my, my client. I go back, and my wife and I, we bought our first house when we were 20, okay, which we didn't know what we were doing, and we were scared to death. So I, I just think back to that time, and I think, okay, what was I thinking at that point in time? What were my biggest concerns? And those are the types of things that I like to hit on to make sure they understand, because I was there, okay? <laughs> I know exactly what they're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going through this process. We found a house that we like. Nick wrote up a great offer. The offer's been accepted. Now it kind of starts to go through that underwriting process. Um, what are some things that you're communicating to your buyers? Do you do this more on the front end of what like uh, what cash they're going to need to come up with? Is Are there ever scenarios where they can kind of roll their down payment or closing costs into the loan? What, what are some things along those lines that you're having conversations with? Yeah. So, you know, usually at that point, if we haven't already started collecting documents, we're, we're starting to get that. We're getting the process rolling. In terms of the numbers to close, I mean, we're going to send out disclosures and it's going to list, you know, all the different costs, but you truly don't know the final cost until you get to the end. Um, and so we just stay in touch and, and communicate frequently as to where we're at in the process if there's anything that's going to delay closing, if there's anything that's going to cause, you know, additional fees, um, you know, so I think the most important thing is frequent updates. And that's not just me calling the client. That's me staying in touch with, you know, Nick, letting him know, hey, this is where we're at with the process, um, because the more everybody knows, the better. Uh, nobody wants to be in the dark. <laughs> I, and I like to hear that from Josh, too, because there's a lot of times that I'm, I'm helping a client. And it wasn't from it wasn't one that Josh and I worked on, but you know where they get to the closing table, and and their lender they don't know what their payment's going to be, or they there's a fee that they didn't understand that they would have to bring a certain more amount of money to close, and that is the worst feeling, especially a first time homebuyer could ever have. So hearing Josh uh, stating that he goes over that with his client that's that's really important. So kudos to you, man. Yeah, great. Well, yeah, I mean you, you got to know that going into it. And that's and we'll talk about your your ten commandments later because there's a couple items on there that that, that will lead into that. <laughs> no, so. good, good. I guess, don't finance a car yeah. before closing. Oh man, <laughs> or you'll be living in it. If you want to give, <laughs> we'll just call the the you know the ten commandment list here. The if you want to give your lender a heart attack list, do one of these, and uh, you know, or yeah, yeah, just avoid those. That's great. But getting communication to them, let them know. And to answer your question on can they roll anything in, so in a, in a mortgage purchase, the closing costs you cannot roll in. So I know that can get confusing. If you're refinancing and you have equity, then the loan costs, you can have that rolled in and into the balance of the, the mortgage. But when you're making that purchase, um, one way to reduce your total out-of-pocket expense is to ask for what they call seller concession. Um, not very popular, I'm sure, in this market right now because of how much competition there is. Sellers don't really want to pay that, but that is an option. And basically what it is, you're you're asking the seller to pay up to a certain percentage or a dollar amount uh, towards their, you know, towards your closing costs and fees. So there are ways to reduce it. Somehow we managed to get that on my first house that we bought. Yeah, 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 sellers chipped in like three percent or something like that. Yeah, that was a little different on your second time around, right? Yes, the market was completely very different. different. Yeah. We had to go a little <laughs> bit higher on our on our offer than market price, exactly. But. And it was it had to be really clean, right? Yeah, for you to to yep. get it. So mm-hmm. 
know, and that's part of as a realtor understanding the market to say, hey, I'm sure I gave that advice to you, but this market is a little different. Yes, I know you want closing costs, but do you want a house? Yeah. Because that's part of that consultation that you got to understand that the market's a little different. Yes, it, you may want it to as a buyer. Hey, I remember, you know, getting these seller's concessions the last time. I want them now. <laughs> okay, do you really? This is this is uh, yeah. what will happen if you do that. And you're like, yeah. no, I, I want the house. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we tried that a couple times before we found this house. And uh, it seemed like the response that we were getting was not too favorable. No, no. <laughs> we didn't get any counters when we did that. So, right, right. Um, so yeah, so, so Nick, uh, you take clients through the house, they like the house, um, and they, and they, and they're like, Nick, this is it. I want to buy it. What do you do? All right. So first and foremost, you sit down and discuss the terms of the purchase agreement. Okay. We're getting ready to sit down and write the purchase agreement. We figure out the price and, and again, you have to be uh, strategic. You have to strategize in, in writing your offer. Uh, because you got to look better and uh, it's competitive market out there. You got to be better than the next offer. Okay. It has to look better. So you'll go through price. Price is the number one thing. It's a big thing. Now it's normally 10 days inspection. I believe that you still got your 10 days inspection period, I believe. Correct. Or did you, I waive think inspections? we waived the you inspection waived, period waived, yeah, to get we, the that's process right, that's moving. Right. Cause we were about a week from being that, homeless. <laughs> that, that is right. Yep. I do remember that now. Uh, but anyway, so now the inspection times are being sh um, shortened. Like traditionally on the purchase agreement, it's 10 days, but guess what? To just to have that advantage, that leading edge on your offer, you're going to shorten that up. You know what? I already told my inspector to stand by. I'm, I'm writing an offer on the house. Yep. Let's have inspections done in three days. And why is that so important? Well, the seller will look at that and be like, you know what? This, okay, I got two offers. And just say that they're the same, okay? They're the same dollar amount. But one has a shorter time period for inspections. The advantage of that is that if something is majorly wrong with a house or the buyer doesn't feel comfortable of moving forward with the purchase because after the inspections, what, what was found, guess what? That means that house is going to be back on the market that much sooner versus being off the market for 10 to 12 days while the buyer's figuring it out. Yep. And that's huge yeah. for the seller. And I, yeah, I would just say from a seller's perspective, it, you know, I don't want somebody that's going to nitpick me over everything that's wrong with my house. Okay. Because you, you maybe just spent the last six months trying to get this thing in the condition it's in. And the last thing you want is somebody pointing out every imperfection. And I mean, if it's something major, then, you know, they probably disclosed it already. And if they haven't, well, shame on them, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes those big undisclosed items, the seller really doesn't know that they exist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. No, I mean, that's just a sign that you as a buyer are saying, I want this house. I'm not going to be that picky. I know it's not going to be perfect but let's move forward. Yeah, and, and there's another strategy too that's really popular right now when writing a purchase agreement, and that is telling the client that you're willing to pay $5,000 above appraised value. So why is that Why is that happening? It's because people are gonna, ha there's multiple offers. So to get it, you're already, so say there's a house 250, okay? You're probably to get that offer. You're probably at least at 270, and so you're going to write your offer at 275. Usually, typically, you'd be contingent upon the property appraising at the value because you don't want to overpay. But today in this market, buyers are saying, you know what? I'm willing to pay 275 and another five thousand dollars additionally if it doesn't appraise. So that just comes in really strong. Yep. Yeah, I think we did that a couple times. Is is that called an escalation clause? Well, the escalation clause is a little different than okay. that. Okay. Yep. Glad you asked about yep. that. The escalation clause is where you write for two fifty. Yeah. Okay. And then what you're saying is, you know what? We're gonna escalate our purchase price above and beyond the next competitive offer. And usually it's about a thousand bucks, you know, so you, you turn the eye of the seller, you know, so we get an offer at 270. Well, I, I would go up to 275 in my escalation clause, but I only want to go up a thousand dollars more than the next competing offer. Gotcha. And that's what gives you, so you don't have to go to 275. That just goes up to 275, but 
to a thousand dollars above to that point. Gotcha. So in that case, two seventy one wins you the deal. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, assuming they take, it, yes, you know, if the next competing offer was two seventy, and they're going to go two seventy one, and a thousand dollars is big for a seller. They'll they'll take it usually, typically. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that requires the listing agent to send all of the offers over to you too. So. Because you have to prove it, of course. So well, that you gives have you to, an idea. So basically what, what I do when I that's a good that's a good point there, Josh. What I typically do is and you you make it non invasive, right? You don't you can block everything out so I don't get any personal information. That's what I want to see. I want to make sure that they do have that offer that um, made that um, escalation clause a factor. So Nick, you write the purchase agreement, uh, you guys come to terms, and then you're gonna send that purchase agreement to the listing agent to present to the seller. The listing agent to present to the seller. And then a lot of times, uh, especially in these competitive times, uh, they'll put a hard cap on it. They'll be like, all offers due Tuesday at five o'clock. That's when we're going to review them. Uh, At what point after that, what's typically the time frame that you hear back whether or not your client's offer has been accepted? Well, typically, so if a listing agent states that the seller wants all offers due at five o'clock, we'll just use 5 p.m., okay? It's pretty popular. Uh, you usually typically hear back within three to four hours, typically. Okay, so and that especially, night. Especially if there's multiple offers. Typically, they don't want to sit on them. If you have one offer and you give them 24 hours to make a decision, they're probably going to take that 24 hours just to see if they get any more offers. Yep. Yeah. So uh, let's say they, they review all the offers and boom, your client accepted offer. What yeah. happens next? Well, well, it depends on if we have an, an inspection period there. Typically, okay. there is, right? Okay. So then what we do is we find an inspector. Hey, buyers, do you have any? And typically, yep. and typically, sorry to cut you off, but typically, if you're working with somebody who's an, a first-time home buyer, especially if they're tight on cash, you do not want them to skip that inspection. And a lot of times, the mortgage is going to require it, correct? Well, typically, so mortgages really don't require inspections. It's just typically like you'll have like, and Josh can elaborate on this a little bit more, but FHA, right, Josh? Like they're going to come through and make sure the house doesn't have peeling paint, that, you know, water's functional. They got... That's <laughs> you're laughing be... over there. Yeah. Yeah, you, know why, you know why you're laughing. Yeah. Uh, so typically, it's it's not uh, the bank that requires. Uh, it's more for the buyer to protect themselves. Buyer beware. They don't know anything about the house, right? Yep. So right. they don't want to be caught with a huge expense that they're just going to have to forfeit that. And you know that'd be horrible. Yeah. That'd be horrible. Yeah. yeah. Most most inspections are you know what two. Two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, I they're, mean, they're actually a little higher. Are they a little higher? Like, yeah, like three twenty-five to four twenty-five. Oh, are they now? Yeah. Wow. Okay, <laughs> business is good. So, yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, peace of mind, and and to just hit on, you know, what banks require, what lenders. I'm not going to say banks, what <laughs> lenders require. Um, it the appraisal is is what we use. That's you know, and to your point with an FHA, an F, you have to have an FHA approved appraiser come out, appraise the home. So they're determining the value, but with an FHA deal, they're going to inspect, uh, you know, a handful of items a little bit closer because it has, the property has to meet a certain guideline. So, uh, but inspections are completely on, on the client. Okay. That's preference. So they go through and they get the inspection and let's say that comes back clean or there's a, there's a couple minor things that your, uh, your buyer's willing to live with. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it's go time. So we're in the mortgage underwriting process. Uh, once you get that that purchase agreement, Josh, um, you've got a live deal. What does that kind of look like from an underwrite standpoint? I'm sure there's some documents that you need if you haven't gotten them already. Yeah. Um, but once you have that PA, what's typically the turnaround time? Uh, turnaround time. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying turnaround time from now till closing? Yes. Well, yeah. So that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Putting you on the spot with yeah. that There's that crystal ball there, buddy. Yeah. You know, that... It depends on the type of mortgage that you're, you know, that you're writing. Um, conventional loans, I can still get those done in 30 days or less in most situations. The things that are holding up and making loans go a little bit longer right now is appraisals. We don't have any control of that. We use a third-party company to order the appraisal, and if they're not available to get out there for two weeks, and then they're not, a, you know, they're not going to give us that appraisal value for another week. You know, we have three weeks just wrapped into that. So, thirty days typically on on a conventional FHA deals, uh, we're we're looking at about forty-five days. Okay, from so, start to finish. From start to finish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
that brings up a really important point uh, about the appraisal time frame. That's why it's really important to have communication between the real estate agent and the lender because typically a buyer won't or have the lender order the appraisal until they they know they want to buy the house. Yeah. Right? So once point. that buyer's okay with everything, no major repairs, agent, real estate agent needs to communicate that to the lender ASAP, like literally, oh, yep, I'm going to hang up right now. I'm going to email Josh and then I'm going to call Josh just to make sure that he knows that he can order the appraisal right now to speed that up. Yeah. And that's something too that I look at on a purchase agreement. It'll tell you if the inspection period was waived. If it's waived, typically, you know, you as a realtor are telling me, hey, get this thing ordered now. Like, we, we want to get this rolling because that is going to be the one item that's going to typically take the most time. Another thing, too, that we're fighting right now, um, getting verification of employment. Oh, uh, a yeah. Lot of, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of employers, especially this year with, with COVID, uh, different work situations. Yep. It's gotten a lot better now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people have been shuffled around to different areas and or they're working from home. And, you know, so it, it's it's been a little bit more challenging to get some of those documents in on a timely manner. Yeah. Yeah. That that's another item that can hold it up. You know, when it comes to a mortgage process and Nick, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, <clears throat> but there is an article out there that talks about 88 different things that could go wrong with a mortgage purchase. Oh, my gosh. OK. 88 that's things. It? Yeah, only 88, yeah. Like a buyer isn't scared enough, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this. But I I just think it further supports why it's important to have a loan officer and a realtor that know what they're doing and partnering up. I mean, if they partner up, they're going to help. makes the dream work. Yeah, yeah. They're going to help eliminate a lot of those. Now, some of those things are completely out of our control, and we blame those ones on the appraisers. (laughs) Underwriters. Yeah, and the underwriters. Yeah, exactly. Letting them know up front some of the things that they can avoid um, will help make sure that the process goes smooth and gets them to the closing table. Cool. So we're at the closing table. Sign uh, nine thousand pieces of paper. It seems like with your <laughs> with your name, and then and then you're done. And typically, uh, sometimes you get possession of the house that day. Sometimes there are stipulations in the purchase agreement that say that you get it thirty days after closing or something like that. So it's kind of celebration time. It is. So what do you do? Well, what I do is I try to take all my clients out for dinner for one, and we still have to do that. Yes, we, we do. We've been trying to do that. <laughs> Um, COVID kind of threw COVID. a monkey wrench in that whole thing. Uh, but I do, I, I do, I, I try to celebrate, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I like to see, think of myself as different as well. I love building relationships with my clients and, you know, 90% of my clients end up being my friends. Um, I don't know what's wrong with the other 10%, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, but I do, and, and I really enjoy it. That's one of the huge, big aspects of it is that, you know, you grow your, sphere of influence and you have people that get to know you and understand that you care about them. And, and typically, you know, my clients care as much about me um, as I care about them. Yep. So, and, and that's, that's awesome. So to kind of wrap this, this segment up, I'll probably, probably break this down into two segments. First, we just kind of ran through a scenario front to front to back, how to buy a house. Uh, the second one, I just kind of want you guys to freelance a little bit and go through some tips. So what are some things you're seeing in the market right now? We're going into the fall and Christmas, which is typically the slow season, but maybe not so much. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's definitely a little bit slower in regards to the number of listings that are on the market for sure. Um, compared to, uh, well, I can give you a a little bit of some stats here. Uh, but we'll just use like Grand Rapids Association of Realtors, for example. In 2020, sales were 3,728. Last year at the same time, it was 4,127. Okay. So we're down about 9, 9.6%. And based on the information I have, this is through uh, July of 2020. Okay. So it's probably changed a little bit yep. uh, since then. Yep. So uh, don't hold me to those numbers. Uh, but the overall value of homes have gone up 10% uh, from the beginning of the year. And that, that's, a, that's a huge number. And so the average, like we'll just throw this out there, the average price for a home uh, in July of 2019 was 244 
in the Grand Rapids area, not Michigan, but Grand Rapids, uh, July of 2020, 270,000. Wow. So just, you know, investing in real estate is really good for everybody right now. So keep it up. I mean, where where's it going to go? No one knows, right? But what Josh can attest to this, as long as interest rates stay low and the supply and demand also stay low, that's going to keep the prices really high. Yep. Yep. So if you're a buyer, thank God the interest rates are lower. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to afford a house. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I could go back and, and talk to all the people. If I wrote names down for every time somebody told me two years ago, I'm going to wait. I'm just, I'm going to wait to buy because I think the market, the, the home values are going to come down. Well, if they waited, yes, interest rates are still low. In fact, they're actually lower now. Um, but they're paying probably twenty to $30,000 more for that same house. So they might be looking at a completely different style home. That's a good point. Compared yeah. to where they were two years ago. So that would be my, if anybody's listening and looking for advice right now, if you're thinking about buying, don't wait. Probably do. It's, yeah, just do it's, it. It's too you're, good. The interest rates are too low to pass it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, nobody here has a crystal ball to know what's going to happen. But to your point, uh, so you've got the millennial generation right now. A lot of them, you know, are getting to that age where they're buying a home. And the millennial generation, where, you know, it. That's a lot of people coming into the home buying market right now. And the number of homes available, the inventory just isn't there. And we're not seeing construction happening fast enough to make up for that. So, Well, just think one, one thing about the new construction, you just said that. There's a caveat that, to that as well. Lumber, because we have a shortage, oh, yeah. is up like 40%. Oh, my gosh. So I'm seeing new homes that were listed. We'll just throw a number out there for 325 now they're listed for three forty nine. So, you know that big difference. Just oh, I guess I'm not buying a new house now because yeah, it just took me out of the price of the market. You know, yeah, yeah. I I can understand. I have a friend of mine building right now, and from the time he started his construction loan to the time it ended, his price for lumber went up. I, I don't know if I, I want to say it went up twenty percent or something crazy like that. And yeah. I mean, at that point, it's like, do you keep building or not? I mean. He was in a position where it made sense to keep moving forward, but how does that work? That, Did you stop building once you start? Well, no. Well, no. <laughs> it was they were still doing the oh, loan. Construction oh, okay. hadn't started. Oh, okay. Gotcha, but you know, gotcha. do they do they continue with the you know construction idea, or do they just go and look and buy a house? Right. Um. And and they decided to continue building. So yeah. What are some of those things that people could be doing to kind of put themselves in a better position to buy a house? Well, I mean, I would say first and foremost. You know, take a look at what your credit situation is, how how much credit you have built up, um, if there's anything. So you can go to annualcreditreport.com, and you can pull your credit report through all three bureaus there. It doesn't cost you anything. It's not going to actually impact your score. Um, and you can get an idea of everything that's reporting to your credit bureau. So I would say go there, look and see what's on your credit report or what's not on your credit report and start working towards, you know, establishing credit or fixing some of the things that, you know, maybe need to be addressed. Um, you know, things like disputes. If you have disputes on your credit, you want to get those cleared up before you start that mortgage process. If you have collections that you can pay off or if you have, you know, let's say you've got revolving debt. So a credit card, for example, um, if you can keep your overall balance under 10% of what your limit is, you're going to help improve your credit. So that might, so here's what I'll say, for example, on that. I was one of those people that, you know, I would charge a couple hundred bucks on it and I'd pay it in full. Um, but what you want to do is you want to actually make several payments each month to keep that utilization low because when you pull your credit report, it's taking a snapshot of what your credit is at that very moment. So even if you pay your balance in full on a credit card, it's looking at it as if you have X amount on it, okay? So keeping your utilization low, um, it, you know, is a good way to, to build credit. So, so you pay I, on I just it went on weekly? like 10 different things there. Bi-weekly? Do you pay uh, So I, I actually would just set a notification. Uh, I mean, it depends on what your credit limit is. Uh, if you have a lower credit limit, then maybe, you know, you get to 100 bucks and you want to pay it. Um, I had mine set, I think, for 500 So when it get to 500 I would just pay that, pay it off. 
So just to just I would to, hope it wouldn't do it more than once. In a while. <laughs> <laughs> so just to clarify on something, so anytime you're uh, you get a credit card statement in a mail in the mail, which you don't because you have e statements because you don't read those. But anytime your once a month, your card is going to go to a statement. Whatever balance is on that statement is what gets reported to the credit bureau, typically. Well, yes, yes, it, it will. Um, but when you pull your credit. Again, I'm not a credit expert here, so yes. I, I could be wrong in this. But when you pull your credit report for a mortgage application, whatever was last reported, um, so could it be? It's likely going to be whatever that last balance was. Yeah. Um, but we don't know when they report that. So sure, um, that is fair. It just depends on when that that creditor reports to the credit bureau. Yeah, some of those credit bureaus are still using snail mail to process everything. It seems yeah. like <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it could already. You know, you could have a thousand dollar balance that's actually paid off, but it's showing up on there. Yeah. So there's they've still got dial up at some of those companies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I got a question for Josh. Uh, I think it's important. I don't even know if they do this anymore, Josh. Maybe you can clarify this for me. There's a difference between a pre qualification and a pre approval. Do you or is the lenders in general, do they still do pre qualifications and or they just go straight to the pre approval process now? So I, I don't know what everybody else is doing, um, but for me, I'm doing the pre-approval where I'm doing a full credit pull. I'm looking at everything on the credit report, and in most situations, I don't have to have all of your income documents. If you're self-employed, I want all of it because I need to know. Um, but yeah, so I, I honestly, I don't know what a, a lot of the other lenders are doing. If they're doing the soft credit pull, or if they're just going based off what somebody says. I, I wish I had the answer for you, but I don't know. So so your advice would probably be to the buyers that you're working with is to probably just to go ahead and get pre-approved. If you're if you're thinking about buying real estate, well let's throw every let's let's figure out the numbers for you, the hard numbers so that way yeah. you can make a great educated uh, decision on moving forward. Absolutely. I, I think that's important. Yeah. Well, and the thing too is let's say you want to buy in the next month or two, but you want to know where you're at. So you can do the annualcreditreport.com, but to your point, getting that pre-approval process started, it's good for 90 days. So 90 days from the day that I pull your credit, that pre-approval is still good. And if you're anything like me, okay, if you're starting to look at a home, you know you're going to find the house that you want like tomorrow, okay? So you want to wait three months, but if you're looking at homes, I guarantee you, you're going to find one that you fall in love with. Or in, in my case, my wife found one she fell in love with. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm like, I don't want to see that house. And then we bought it. So, um, but, you know, so having that pre-approval is important to have early on in that process. Absolutely. And if you're not ready, I'd rather you know exactly what you need to do over the next three months so that way you are ready when the time comes, you know, or just a realistic expectation of, you know, hey, you're, you're going to be waiting, you know, longer, but here's what you need to do. It's going to be hard work. It's not going to be easy, but if you're diligent to it, you can get yourself in a position and you'll enjoy the home a lot more after all that hard work and getting in there. Yeah, Absolutely. So I hear that you have a, a, a 10 commandments of sorts. Are oh, we there yet? Oh, yes. Yes. Look, we, I'd love we could, to hear we this. talk about the 10 commandments commandments. Now, there's been a time where I've actually had a client use one of them, and I'll tell you in just a moment. And and this is a great um, dialogue for Josh and I, because Josh could probably relate to some of these 10 commandments. So there's a list that over the years compiled into the 10 commandments, okay? There's there's probably more out there. So this is just the 10 that I have. These are 10 of that 88 list. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. First one, is thou shall not change jobs, become self-employed, or quit your job. Is that a pretty good one? I would say that's that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> the second one I have on the list is thou shall not buy a car, truck, or van, or you may be living in it. <laughs> <laughs> the third one we have is thou shall not use charge cards excessively or let your call or your accounts fall behind. That's important, isn't it, Josh? Absolutely. You you want to keep on course and, and business as usual when it comes to your finances. You don't want to start changing things at this point. And even though, say you have a $1,000 credit card, right? Yep. And even though you're pay, you go up to 600 so that's 60% of the card's limit, mm -hmm. even though you're paying that off, you're still could be hurting your credit. Is that correct? I mean, the higher you, your utilization 
typically the lower your credit will be. Yeah. So yep. yeah. The the next one I have is this is an important one too. Jeez, I think they're all important. Thou shall not spend money you have set aside for closing. <laughs> that might be a problem if you spend that money. All right, number five. Thou shall not omit debts or liabilities from your loan application. The lender writer will find them. They will find they them. They will, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. They don't miss a damn thing. No, no. <laughs> all right, number six. And this is. Uh, one that I have actually had an experience with. Thou shall not buy furniture. Buyers are so excited. At the time, it was Art Van. But I need to have a furnished home. You do. <laughs> do it after you buy your home. What happened is I had a client went and bought furniture on a Art Van credit card. And guess what? When they do that check of the... Because, right, Josh, the yeah. underwriting does a verification of making sure nothing's changed in your credit and all that stuff. Yeah. Debt to income ratio went above that threshold where they no longer qualify for a mortgage. And we're supposed to be closing, I think, four days from that point. So mom and dad graciously gave them a gift to omit that or to get rid of that debt uh, so they could close on their house. So, So- Kudos to mom and dad. They saved yeah. the day. Well, and, and I'm going to guess you didn't hit deadline because no. when you, you know, speaking of gift, it's great when mom and dad want to give you a gift, but they need to, they need to provide a lot of information and it can take time to get all the information they need to, to be able to clear yeah, luckily, this. Luckily, it was really quick for some odd reason. It was quick. It, okay. it was like a couple days. Uh, yeah, they wrote a letter. Should- yeah, yeah, you're going to get a letter, and then you just need to show that the funds have moved. Um, but I, here's what I always get. I'll ask for a bank statement or transaction history, and I'll ask for all pages. And every single time, I get all but one of the pages, I swear. Yeah. Every single time. And, and you know what it is? It's always that page that says intentionally left blank. Yes. Like, who put that there just to destroy my life, okay? <laughs> like, if it says intentionally left blank, why did you even put it in that? Yes. You know, so... <laughs> All right, thou shall not originate any inquiries into your credit. So if you're standing in line at Kohl's and they say you could get 25% off today by opening a Kohl's credit card, just tell them you're buying a home right now and you can't do that. My real estate agent will kill me (laughs) if I do this. (laughs) Uh, Number eight, uh, thou shall not make large deposits without first checking with their loan officer. And why don't you, why is that important, Josh? Oh man, it go it goes back to you know just don't don't change anything. But large deposits, we have to we have to account for where the the funds have come from. And if there's something outside of the normal, we need to know the reasoning for it. And I'll tell you, cash for example, I, I've had a lot of people tell me, well, hey, I you know I just had a bunch of cash left at home that I wanted to use for my down payment, and so you know I deposited it into the account. Well, cash is like a big no-no in the mortgage world because we don't know how you got that cash. And I know it might sound silly. You probably weren't out dealing drugs to get it. But from a government regulatory standpoint, we have to we have to know. And there's no way to prove what cash is. So no large deposits, anything that's going to bring up questions. Now, if you make a large deposit, some of them are okay, as long as, again, we have the paper trail and we can explain it. Um, but it's just best if you just wait, <laughs> okay? <laughs> or ask, yeah. and we can clarify. <laughs> that's but great yeah, advice, avoid sir. cash. <laughs> Uh, number nine, thou shall not change bank accounts. And that sounds goofy, right? But why why is that important? Josh, you know the reason of that? Again, just you know, keep it keep it where it's at. Um, if you're opening a new account, it just raises questions. You know, what what what's the reason to opening a new account? If you've already provided statements with money and everything in a in a different account, there's no need to be changing it. Just keep it the way it is. All right, number ten. We don't have a drum roll. Uh, thou shall not co-sign a loan for anyone because Josh. Oh man! Well, <laughs> yeah, I, that you know, ratio goes up, right? Yeah, I know somebody. Um, I know several people who you know were looking out for family, and they co-signed on an auto loan to get them either a better rate or to help them get the auto loan. And they, you know, they come to try to get pre-approved, and it's not necessarily that I can't pre-approve them, but. They're going to get pre-approved less if we run into what we call a debt-to-income issue. So we have to account for that monthly payment because their name is on it. 
even if it's not theirs. So Nick, it, it, there's there's so much uh, give and take through all these transactions. What What's something, like give me a scenario, uh, maybe kind of a goofy scenario where you kind of had to go above and beyond the call of duty. What, what's an example that you could give me? Boy, I have several. I have, I have so <laughs> many. I, could, I think I'm already, I'm at the point where I could probably write a book. You probably should. Yeah, I, I probably will when I get to uh, retire mid-age. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, there's a t- there was one time where we were closing an RD loan, okay, and it was out actually between Middleville and Caledonia, right off of M37, and we're getting to the close. We're getting ready to go to the closing table. We're we're getting pretty close. Uh, the appraiser had to go out and and look at the home. Well, all of a sudden, the appraiser comes back with a condition. You have this chicken coop 100 yards into the woods that the seller didn't even know about because they bought the house only like five years prior to to us selling their house there. And they had no idea about this chicken coop. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, what's going on with the chicken coop? It needs a new roof and it needs paint. Well, I called- Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. The appraiser was using the chicken coop in the valuation- Yes. And requiring it to be fixed up. It was strange, right? right. So we get to the point where I have to really, I'm representing the seller, okay? So I have to relay this to the buyer's agent. Like, yeah, we have a condition. My seller does not want anything to do with it. It's, they didn't even know about it, but it was a big enough building where they insinuated value into the stupid chicken coop. So (laughs) I, I, so we're trying to figure this out and- you know, we want the deal to close. We want our clients to be happy. So I asked the realtor, the buyer's agent, and I was kind of like, ser- like jokingly, but seriously on my part. Yes, I would do it. I didn't think the other realtor would be a team player and help me. But I'm like, hey, do you know how to paint? Yeah, I know how to shingle. Let's go out on a Sunday morning and get that chicken coop painted and re-roofed. <laughs> and and we did it. So on a Sunday morning, we went out there and I shingled the roof and he painted the entire chicken coop and we got the deal closed. Unbelievable. Wow. You know, you shouldn't have let him just start. I don't have anything exciting like that. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. I Not know yet. those stories are coming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, but I, I don't, they don't let me on the property. You know, that's, that's you. <laughs> I'm stuck in my office all the time. That's funny. You sit under Chicken a bridge coop. writing loans. Yeah. That's what exactly. you do. You're like the, the lending troll. <laughs> the lending troll. There you go. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming out guys. Uh, if you're still listening, we wanted to thank you. You're one of the greatest human beings on the face of the planet. Again, uh, any contributions to the Patreon account in the description is appreciated, but the most important thing you can do is like, share, subscribe and all platforms and stay tuned for the next episode. Y'all have a great night. Bye.